The gospel this morning is, I think, one of the most challenging gospels to preach on. And I, I often hear of people uh, whom I know all over the nation and, and all over the world, they'll complain about when a priest will not preach on the readings, especially the gospel, and they'll preach about just about everything else except what's in the readings, and uh, which I'm, as a priest, that makes me really uh, feel really sad for the people because the, the people need to be hearing preaching about the readings. That's what the church is asking for, and that's what they really need to hear. But it's really tempting, I think, for a priest uh, on this particular Sunday to, to talk about uh, something else, the loving one's enemies, because this is, this is something which is very difficult to do. And if we think of loving one's enemies in the worldly sense, it's, it's almost impossible to do, uh, because the worldly sense of love is a lot different than what true love really is. Uh, the theological definition of love is to desire the best in another person, to desire the best in another person. Uh, it's not that warm and fuzzy feeling. I don't know about you, but I've never had a warm and fuzzy feeling for my enemy, right? And you haven't either. Well, how is Jesus expecting us to love our enemies if we're not going to feel like being in love with our enemy? What's well, the theological definition of love, which is to love in the sense that I'm desiring the best in that person. And the best in that person is to not hate me, right? Or to not do crazy things or to not say crazy things to me. So in that sense, I can, I can love my enemy. Jesus never asks us to like our enemies, right? Not in the Gospels I've read. He's never, he never says, like your enemies, you know? Some of the best ways I love my enemies is to stay away from them. I don't listen to them. I don't see what they're doing because it drives me crazy. I, I think they're idiots, right? And that's one reason I don't watch the news. <laughs> you know, honestly, how can I love politicians? How can I love people in our world who are doing uh, things which I think are just atrocious and using COVID as an excuse to do it? By staying away, by distancing myself from them and, and praying for them, but certainly not watching them or listening to them. So it is possible to love our enemies, but not in the worldly sense. It's, it's possible to love the, our enemies in the theological sense of desiring the best in that person. And, and to be honest, in order to love people, sometimes it means staying away from them. Sometimes to love a person means to, to, to stay out of that person's life completely and totally, honestly. Sometimes that's the best way to love somebody. Maybe I have it all wrong, but maybe I don't. I don't know. But I think there's... There's two reasons why Jesus may be asking us to love our enemy. Uh, I'm sure there's many more reasons, but the two reasons I, that come to mind is, first of all, it may bring good to that person. Uh, we see this in the first reading, right? In, uh, in the book of Samuel, leading up to this, um, Saul is king, and uh, David comes along, and he easily stands out as the better leader. He's more charismatic. He's younger, he's better looking, he's stronger, uh, he's more um, popular among the people. So over time, Saul becomes very jealous to the point of wanting to kill David. So that's the point we come to. Saul is pursuing David through the desert, and Saul and his army uh, falls asleep, including the guards. The guards fall asleep, 
And David and a few of his, follow, a few of his friends notice this. And they basically walk into Saul's camp unnoticed until they're, until they're at the head of Saul. Saul's sleeping there on the ground with his spear right there. And his bodyguard is fast asleep. And one of David's friends says, pick up the spear and thrust it, thrust it through Saul right now. And all this is over. We don't have to run anymore. We don't have to be afraid of, of losing our life from this guy. Just chop off his head right now. David says, no, I'm not going to do that. He's the anointed. He's the king. I'm not going to do that. And he does that out of, out of love. And what happens? Well, he goes across, back across of the valley, and he holds up the spear, which he took. He takes Saul's spear, and he's, then he's shouting out. He's waking up the army. He says, look what I have. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He says, look what I have. Saul, I could have put this through your heart, but I didn't because I love you. And because of that, Saul changes. He repents. Saul repents from his hatred for David. It's incredible. Because David loved him, Saul repented and turned back to God. We also see this in many, many examples uh, throughout, <clears throat> uh, throughout uh, history. One of my favorite examples comes from uh, something which happened during World War II in Rome. If you've ever seen the movie The Scarlet and the Black, you'll know the story of Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty and uh, Commander, uh, the SS Commander Herbert Kapler. Um, Monsignor O'Flaherty was an Irish um, priest in Rome in, uh, mm -hmm. in the Curia. And uh, when um, um, the Allies, when the Allied prisoners and especially American POWs are escaping in Italy and, uh, and running basically for a neutral country, uh, they come to the Vatican seeking refuge. And Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty, he sets up this underground network in Rome in the 1940s to hide these prisoners of war so that they're not captured by the, by the SS and killed or sent to concentration camps. He's, he's uh, credited with, with saving more than 6,000 POWs, prisoners of war, or potential prisoners of war um, in, in Rome. So he's, he's set up this underground network of hiding uh, these allied soldiers and airmen in these homes throughout Rome and, and, the, and the villas and the, and the farms uh, surrounding Rome. And the, the SS, the Germans catch on to this and they send uh, uh, Commander Herbert Kapler to break up this, this network. And uh, he's, he becomes ruthless because he's feeling pressured you know, uh, he doesn't want to lose his job. He doesn't want to disappoint the Fuhrer. So he becomes, um, he becomes very uh, brutal in trying to break up this underground network and, uh, and killing many, not only the, the, these soldiers and airmen, but also the people who are, who are hiding them. And uh, this movie, The Scarlet and the Black, um, shows a, a glimpse of this conflict, really, this interaction between Monsignor Flaherty and Commander Kepler. And uh, at, at one point in the film, or a couple of points it shows where the, the commander, this SS uh, commander wants to kill Monsignor O'Flaherty himself. But he doesn't, he doesn't do it. Monsignor uh, is able to elude, uh, he's able to escape himself many times. And what's interesting is when, when the, uh, the Nazis realize that Rome is gonna fall to the Americans, you know, the Americans land, land at Anzio and Natuno. They start pushing their way up. And it becomes very clear 
and a lot of the SS retreat, uh, a Monsignor, uh, excuse me, uh, Colonel Kapler, he's, he's caught and he's eventually tried for war crimes and he's sentenced to, uh, I believe it was 30 years in a prison for, uh, for uh, uh, war crimes. And during that time in prison, the only, pri the only visitor that Colonel Kepler receives is Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty. Monsignor's visiting him in prison. He's visiting this man who wanted to kill him, who killed many of his friends, killed many of the people he was trying to hide. Yet this priest goes to the prison to visit uh, Herbert Kepler. And eventually, Herbert Kepler converts to Catholicism. It's amazing, isn't it? And if Monsignor O'Flaherty, who's being persecuted uh, and who's being threatened and, and want to be killed by, by Colonel Kepler, if he, if he did not love Colonel Kepler, then Colonel Kepler would have never converted before he died. It's just a beautiful story, isn't it? It's a real story. It's a true story. And there's so many other stories like that. So I think one reason why our Lord is asking us to love our enemies because it can actually bring good to our enemies. In the case of Colonel Kepler and in Saul. And many people in between that, right? The second reason, though, is because when we forgive our enemies, when we're able to truly love our enemies, not like them, but to love them, it helps us. Because so many people today, they're walking around with anger and bitterness and resentment, animosity and hatred in their heart for a person. And they're just holding on to this, sometimes for decades. I encounter people in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, they've, they've, they've held on to these feelings for a person, for a group of people for decades. And it's destroyed their life. Not of the person they're hating, it's destroyed their life. And it's kept them from being the Christian which God desires them to be. It's like, it's like being in a sailboat on a lake. And the sail's up and the wind is out, the breeze is out, and, but you realize you're not going anywhere. You realize you're not going anywhere, and then you wonder why. Why am I not going anywhere? And you look back, and you realize that you're holding on to this rope, and at the end of this rope is an anchor. And it's at the bottom of the lake. And you're looking at this rope saying, Aha, see? I'm holding this against you. See, I have you just where I want you. My hatred, my bitterness, my resentment. See? See, I'm holding on to this. Just let go. Let go of it. Trust me. Your hatred, your bitterness, your, your anger, your animosity, your, your resentment towards that person, it's not going to really affect that person very much. It's affecting you much more than it's affecting them. So I think it's important for us to forgive other people, to love other people unconditionally, especially our enemies, to help us. To help us. This is something which is not easy to do. Trust me. Not easy. In seminary, uh, I had a very wise, faithful, and holy Jesuit priest, my spiritual director. He helped me get through some things my, my, couple, my last couple years in seminary. And he said, he said to me uh, something which I hope I never forget. He, he says, you know, Jimmy, ask the Lord. He said, well, give the Lord permission 
to take this bitterness, to take this resentment, to take this anger, your, this hatred from your heart for this person or for this group of people. Give God permission to take it. You know, if you're not willing to let go of it, give God permission to take it from you. That's a very powerful prayer, and it works. And it changes. It changes everything. You don't want to be weighed down by this, by this hatred in your heart for an enemy. And Jesus doesn't want you to be weighed down by either. He wants you to be free from it. You know, we remember that the, the Greek verb in the New Testament, which is translated to the word forgives in English, is the Greek verb luo. And it literally means to untie something from somebody, to cut that chain, that binding chain. That's what Jesus wants us to do, to cut that chain, to cut that rope, whatever's, whatever's causing us to hate somebody, because it's hurting us more than it's hurting them. Finally, you're probably asking, well, Father, that's all nice and, nice and dandy, but how do I do that realistically? How do I do that? Because I really hate this person. You know, I've, I've, um, I've been really harmed. My family's been harmed from, from what this person's been doing to me uh, financially, uh, psychologically, emotionally, maybe physically. How can I do this? I think uh, one of the prayers, I, I mentioned to you that, that prayer which the Jesuit priest told me, you know, give God permission to take this resentment to remove this hatred, this bitterness, this animosity from my heart. I'm giving God permission to take it. If I'm not ready to, to give it away, I give God permission to take it. And the second prayer is a very powerful prayer indeed. It's the prayer of Jesus on the cross. When he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Pray that prayer for your enemy. Even if you think you know what they're doing, mm -hmm. pretend like they don't, okay? Just pretend like they don't. And pray that prayer of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think that that's the way that we can fulfill this commandment to love our enemies. But listen to what I'm saying. I'm not asking us to like our enemies. <laughs> That's a very special grace indeed. But it is possible for us to love our enemies in the theological sense, to desire the best in that person, whatever the best may be. Because if, that, if, if we pray for that, then we're praying for the same thing which God desires for their heart too. So as we continue with this Holy Mass, we pray for the, for the grace and the courage necessary to fulfill these commandments which our Lord has given to us in today's gospel. Some of the most difficult, I think, in all of sacred scriptures. The commandment to love our enemies. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.